The last verse of that, that hymn is so precious. Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless may we be. Let us see thy great salvation. Is that not the cry of our hearts, brethren, as we wait for Christ in his return, perfectly restoring thee? And while we are on this earth, we are being changed from one degree of glory to another till in heaven we finally do take our place. And then it says we'll, we'll be given a crown and we will cast it before the very feet of Christ till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. Can you imagine that day, brethren? That day when you are handed that crown in glory and Christ has not even brought one of your sins up. Not one. And the righteousness that he has given you is the crown. No wonder we will fall down on our faces, casting our crowns beneath to his feet. Let us come to the word of the living and true God. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of Romans, the epistle of Paul to the Romans, chapter 1. We're going from verse 1 to 17. That's the epistle to the Romans, chapter 1. We're starting at verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you. You also, just as among other Gentiles, I am a debtor, but I am a debtor, sorry, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Verse 16, and these are the two verses I want us to particularly look at this evening. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let us bow our heads in prayer. This is the reading of God's most precious holy word.
Father, we come to you humbly in godly fear and trembling at your word, O Lord. The words of eternal life, the words that you have spoken. O Father, when we approach your word, O Lord, may we approach it in reverence. We thank you that it is what is contained in there. It makes us wise unto salvation. And Father, we pray this evening, O Lord, that your message, this message, will go forth in power, O Lord. The power that only comes from you, not from man, not from eloquence, not from academia. No, but by your spirit, O Lord. So Father, come down in power, we ask. Be amongst us as your word is preached, Father. May the saints be edified and may you, O Lord, be glorified. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. I can't help but feel Paul's enthusiasm when he penned these words to the church at Rome. This evening, uh, we are going to be looking at these two verses, which I just said. And I'm sure that these uh, verses and words are familiar to you. I'm sure they are words that when you read them, you say, Amen, Hallelujah, and thanks be to God. I am trust uh, that I'm with people today who are familiar with the gospel of Christ. I'm sure if I went round the room, we would all be able to, uh, to tell of its saving power as we have seen the work it has done in our own lives. We all would say here today that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I'm also very sure that if I went round the room, we are men and women, we would be call ourselves evangelical in its true and proper sense not the the silliness that we see today but evangelical in its true and and proper sense and we would say as Paul we are not ashamed of this gospel but also with our all our enthusiasm and our love for this gospel I really do believe that even we as Christians can start to lose our grasp on how central the gospel is We Christians would never admit it to one another, but if we are honest with ourselves, we at times can become cold to the truths that are contained within it. And brethren, this should never be, as you and I as believers need to be reminded of the gospel every single day. The gospel, the good news of our Lord and Saviour is not just for those out there. It's not just for the unbelievers, it is just as much for you and I today sat in this room who claim Christ. Some of you may be asking, well, why is that? Well, my dear brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ today, there are times, even today maybe, where you have fallen into sin. You have sinned against the Lord and we do this every day. My dear friend, We need to be reminded every day of the glorious hope which is found in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us at the cross at Calvary. We need to remind ourselves that Christ suffered once and for all for the just and the unjust and that we are now covered in his most precious blood and the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. Brethren, we need that every day, do we not? Or is that just me? We need that every day. We need the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, brethren. But on the other hand, if you think you have not sinned today and you think you are progressing in sanctification quite well, which you may be, I'm not here to argue with anyone about that, you may be, I say 
even when that happens, we can become prideful. We start to say, we've got this ourselves now. Yes, Christ did his part, but I'm doing pretty okay now. And you need to, and you and I need to remind ourselves that there is none righteous. No, not one. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We need to be humbled by the very same gospel and say, yes, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Really, I am naked and I come to him for dress. We also need to realize, brethren, that we need the gospel every day, not just because it saves us from the penalty of sin, but the same gospel that saved us is the same gospel that will sanctify us. And this same gospel will one day glorify us in the, from the presence of sin all together. Brethren, the gospel is central. This is why we, we as gospel men and women should be lamenting at what we are seeing in the contemporary evangelical churches. We are living in a day when the saving gospel of Jesus Christ is being turned into nothing more than a ticket to heaven, no more than a decision, and it has no other effect on the rest of the person. Many upon many people who claim to be saved are living like the world, talking like the world, doing everything that the world says is okay. But praise God, they're a Christian because they asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart one time in their life. They have no idea what the true gospel is. They have no idea that the gospel is a call to die to self and that it's a powerful work of the third person of our blessed, of the blessed Trinity, regenerating a man to such a degree that he starts to see the old things that he used to love. And he starts to see the things that he used to hate and he begins to love them. Remember what Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed. Behold, all things have become new. As I said, I've just come back from an open air preaching tour with some brothers in other churches. What surprised me the most was the amount of people who called themselves Christians but were so antagonistic to the gospel which we preached. They were saying things like, we are unloving, telling people that they need to turn from sin to Christ. They said, we just need to tell people that God loves them. And listen to this, brethren. Even one man who went to a church in that particular area said that we worship the same God as the Muslims. That's what he said. He also believed that it was okay for Christians to embrace homosexual relationships. That was just one place. Shortly after this, me and my wife, Emma, uh, went to Liverpool Cathedral uh, just for a day trip. We, we like to see the old buildings. We like to uh, look at the architecture and we, we, we hope and we pray that one ta- once upon a time, these places did have the gospel booming forth. But we heard a, we saw a man who was praying. I don't know if they've got like a speaker here and a man steps up and he preaches, sorry, he prays and the whole cathedral can hear. And he prayed some nice prayers. So me and Emma went to speak to this man after. And we said, what do you think about what's happening in the world at the moment? And this was this man's response. And these are in church buildings, brethren. This was his response. A reader from the Church of England. If there is a God, if there is a God, and I believe there maybe is a God, 
He should be doing more to help us. These are the people in our church buildings out there, brethren. No mention of the world in need for Christ. Just in reality, still that clenched fist to heaven saying, God, you are not doing your job right. God help us, brethren. God help us. These are the people in our church buildings, I said. Could you imagine a man or a woman who falls under conviction of sin and the first place they turn to is what they think the church is? Brethren, this should leave us in tears. When we see things like this, it is no wonder we hear the words of Jesus echo in our ear in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And these awful words, if, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you apart from me, workers of lawlessness. Many upon many church buildings who claim to be part of the church of Jesus Christ but they have absolutely no idea what the gospel is. And brethren, Paul says in 2 Timothy, which I believe we are very much seeing today, for there, are time, for there is a time coming where people will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. Brethren, we need to be defenders of the true gospel, which Paul says here is the power of God unto salvation. We need to be people who are standing firm on this gospel because this is God's gospel. And that means men should not mess with it. We need men to be raised up like Luther and Calvin, who will stand firm on this word of God, who will say, here I stand. I can say no more. Help me, God. That is what we need in the generation that we live. We don't need more church buildings. We don't need more fancy music. We don't need messy play. We don't need all that. We need the gospel of Christ to be preached in the power of the spirit, brethren. That is what we need. Which leads me to my first point. My first point is this. We must not be ashamed. We must not be ashamed. We read in verse 16, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. Paul here is making a declaration that he is unequivocally not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, what he is really saying here is he boasts in this gospel. We read just before in, uh, in, in the first uh, few verses of the same chapter in the introduction, he says that he was called to be an apostle and he has been separated to the work of the gospel. We also know that the apostle Paul did not learn the gospel from man, nor was he taught it. We know from the, uh, the epistle to the Galatians, chapter 1, verse 12, that it was revealed to him by our Lord and Saviour himself. The Lord entrusted this work to Paul. 
But that is not why Paul is not ashamed of it. It's not an arrogance. He's not saying, well, I've been chosen above another, above another person. But he is not ashamed of it because this gospel, which has been revealed to him, is the very power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. He's saying, I am not ashamed of it. I rejoice in this for it is God's gospel. God has now revealed to us the way in which leads to life, not only for the Jews now, not only for uh, the Israelites, but for also for the Greek, the Gentiles, you and I who are sat here today. Sinful men and women now have the remedy that will prevent, uh, so present them faultless before the throne of grace. And Paul is saying, this message I bring, this message, the gospel, I am not ashamed of it, not even in the slightest. Even if it causes me to die, I will not be ashamed of this gospel. That was the first century. We are now in the 21st century, 2022. Brethren, we need to ask ourselves a serious question. Are we today ashamed of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour? Are we ashamed of it? We may be sat here saying, well, of course not. We are here most Sundays. We are here Sunday after Sunday listening to the gospel preach. We're even listening to you here today. Proclaim it to us. But brothers, sisters, if we're really honest with ourselves, we just need a little bit of self-examination and we will see that in comparison to this great apostle, brethren, we need to be honest with ourselves. We are very much ashamed of it compared to this man right here. You see, we are living in such a time when we do not yet suffer a great deal of persecution for proclaiming what we believe. We may have people snigger at us. We may have people laugh at us. We may even people have shunners. But in retrospect to this great apostle and what men and women had to deal with in the past, we have very little to complain about. Again, when I was on the preaching tour, I was in Oxford and I stood where Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer and Thomas Cramer, they were burned at the stake for holding fast to biblical truth. These men were people who denied the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And they held the doctrines which we held today, that a man is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all to the glory of God alone. Brethren, these men were not ashamed of the gospel. Again, I ask us, what about us? You see, regardless of what you and I think about the last two years regarding COVID and the church, I'm not here to get into about anything about that. But we, as the church of Jesus Christ, the church universal, I'm not talking about individual buildings, the church of Jesus Christ, universal, universal, we had a perfect opportunity to tell people out there the good news, that there is a God who created you. You're not just a piece of protoplasm evolved over a period of time and you're just on a life cycle. You have a creator. But we've all sinned against this creator. And yes, we very much need to be afraid if we are not in Christ. But God has made a way for us to be reconciled to himself. But what did the church do? What did the church do? Did we look different to the world? If we're honest for ourselves, brethren, 
did we look any different to our next door neighbour who was an unbeliever? Hear me. I say this to myself as well. This is being ashamed of the gospel. Now let's take COVID out of the picture. How many of our neighbours, how many of our neighbours uh, know as individuals that we are Christians? Do we actively try and speak to our fellow man about the saving gospel of Christ? And please hear me again, I'm talking of myself. Because if we are not doing this, brethren, we are ashamed of the gospel. We see agendas that are robbing the name gospel, such as the social justice gospel, and they are calling it gospel. And they try to advance their agendas with the name gospel. If we see this, brethren, and we're accepting this, and we're even advocating it, brethren, we are ashamed of the gospel. I heard a sermon not too long ago from Vadi Bukum or Vadi, however you say his last name. He said something along these lines. We are living in the most privileged time in church history. We have ministers who have professional qualifications. We have universities dedicated to good and sound theology. I'm not saying there's anything bad about those. These are wonderful things. But yet it seems that our generation who have so much are ashamed of the gospel. Our generation, and we need not run from this, brethren. This is, this is, this is all of the church. We are the ones not taking a stand for Christ. We're the ones who are bowing with one knee to Caesar, but the other one is still raised up. And that is being ashamed of the gospel. Friends, this ought to make us weep. We are living in such a time where places of worship who hold to biblical Christianity like this, like you here today, like ours at Jacksdale, are becoming less and less. We're becoming mockers. We are becoming what the world's going to call us radical fundamentalists for not bowing to the agendas of the day. But yet we see churches popping up left, right and centre with rainbow flags right outside their churches, with churches that saying, come for a spiritual reading. Brethren, these are the signs of the times that we're living in. We need, like Jude says in his epistle, we need to be defenders of the gospel. Remember what Jude said to us, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our Lord, the grace of our God into lewdness, and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, we must not think just because we have a certain age or that we have less education than someone, we cannot do anything. Listen, if this gospel stood in the power of man, we have every right to think we can do nothing. But even though, brethren, listen, our weapons are but few. They are mighty unto God. The gospel stands in the power of God. Is that not what the apostle is telling us here? That he's not ashamed of it because it's God's power unto salvation and I say this with much sadness in my heart I truly do believe that we as the church of Jesus Christ have lost confidence in this gospel 
And brethren, we, the reason why we're losing faith in this is because of the dwindling churches, like I've said. The, the church members who have, who have left and maybe even apostatized, it leaves us feeling dejected and even at times doubt God if he will ever revive this nation again. And what can I say about this? What can I today tell you about this? I am not God. And revival, my, my brothers and sisters, is a sovereign act of God which cannot be manipulated. It cannot be manipulated. But God has not commanded us to wait for revival. He commands us to go. He says, go into all the world and preach this gospel to all creation. And listen to the promise of Jesus Christ. Go and preach, he says. And listen in John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Speak. My sheep hear my voice. Brethren, why are you here? Why am I here today? Is it because we were more intelligent than our family members? Is it because we're more intelligent to the butcher next door? No, no, God forbid. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. We heard the gospel and God in his recreating power regenerated us to see the Savior. Friends, I just ask you this. Do you believe there's people out there at Christ, in Christ, this, this wonderful little village town? Do you think there's people who Christ died for in these, in these houses here, yet they just don't know about it? Do you think there is? I'd say there's a great, <laughs> definitely there is. Listen, I believe in the same doctrines as you. I believe that there is nobody who can come to the Father unless he, sorry, nobody can come to the Son unless the Father draws them. I believe that man must be regenerated first, born again before he sees his need for Christ. I see all this and I know that God has his elect. There won't be an empty seat in heaven. I believe this, but remember what our Lord said to Paul in Acts 18 when he asked him to go and preach in that town. He says, he says, do not be afraid, but speak. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you, for I have many, many people in this city. He doesn't say, don't do anything about it, I will bring them to you. He says, speak, go tell of me, go and tell that I now command all men everywhere to repent. And this is why Paul is saying that he is not ashamed of this gospel, because it is God who is the one who is at work. It is God ordained and what God starts, he will finish. Brethren, our weapons are few, but like I said, they are mighty unto God. Mighty unto God. But let me say this. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, as it is written, beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings and good things. We must not be ashamed of this gospel, brethren. We need to get actively busy in preaching this. Which leads me to my second point. The righteousness of God revealed. The righteousness of God revealed. So now we are seeing why Paul is not ashamed of this gospel. And in the next verse, we see what is actually contained in 
this most glorious gospel. We read, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. If we have any knowledge of Reformation and the history, these are the words that open the heart and mind of the great reformer, Martin Luther. You see, this gospel that we proclaim does not just deal with a man's need for the forgiveness of sins. But I say this, I thank God that it does deal with the problem of sin and our forgiveness. But this, but God's gospel deals with the whole of man's problem. It doesn't just deal with this, the, the forgiveness of sin, it deals with the whole of man. You see, what we must realize, brethren, that this gospel primarily is not about us. It's about God himself. We hear in the contemporary churches that God just wants us to be happy and successful. Yeah, we need our sins forgiven, but that's a minor issue. But God wants to give you all the worldly desires of your heart. And I know that I'm in good company who would say that is absolute nonsense. Yes, we need our sins forgiving, but we also need something just as important as our sins forgiving. The gospel of Jesus Christ, when proclaimed, must always start with this, brethren, who God is. We must start with who God is. If we start with man, we only get half of the gospel. We must always start with God himself. And we all must realize today, as as I'm sure you already do, that God is holy. God is thrice holy. The angels declare, the only attribute that's declared three times, he is holy, 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 the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. God is perfectly holy, completely and utterly separate from sin, and he can have nothing to do with it. We also must realize that God is a God of tremendous righteousness, who is just and perfect in all his ways. He isn't like man who can just wink at sin. He is a God who is fully 100% just. As Habakkuk says, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. So the question, my friends, is this. How can God, who is completely righteous, completely holy, look on favour upon us, who, if we're honest with ourselves, are so unrighteous, so unholy and born in iniquity, brought forth in sin? And brethren, this is the great problem of the scriptures. This is the great problem of the Bible. Remember when God revealed himself unto Moses, he said, I'm the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious and long-suffering. I'm abounding in goodness and truth, and I will keep mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing those who are guilty. Forgiving, long-suffering, forgiving of sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. But then we know from Romans For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the whole world will stand guilty before God. And brethren, this is why Paul is so anxious to tell us about this gospel. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And brethren, I know that you are people who know your doctrine. This is the most wonderful doctrine of the imputed righteousness of Christ. You see, God is so holy, so righteous. He doesn't just demand that we be without sin to dwell with him. He demands that we have a righteousness which he can look upon favor on. 
And brethren, we cannot keep the law for one second. We cannot keep the law for one second. The greatest commandment, Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I can say this, there is not one millisecond that you and I have ever done that. There's not one millisecond that we have ever been righteous. So how can God look upon us with favor? Brethren, I ask the same question as Job. How can a man have peace with God? And friends, thanks be to God for our blessed blessed Lord. You see, when we think of the saving gospel, we often only focus on the forgiveness of sins, which is 100%, as I said, central. But we often miss what Paul says in Romans 5. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The Lord Jesus paid for our sins. Absolutely he did. But he lived the perfect life on our behalf. Jesus fulfilled the law of God perfectly. In his active obedience, Christ fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. So when a man or a woman sees their sin, they see that there is nothing that they can bring unto God. They can't even bring their repentance. Let's be honest, our repentance needs repenting of. They have nothing to bring. But when a man said a woman sees their need and they put their faith in Christ, all their sins are forgiven, yes, but they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which he obtained by living perfectly. This is the righteousness of God, which is revealed. And if you have faith in Christ, you are clothed in his righteousness. So if you're in Christ today, my dear brothers and sisters, you are completely and 100% righteous in the eyes of God. Listen to what it says in Songs of Solomon or Songs of Songs. You are all fair, my love. This is Christ saying that to you, his bride. Listen, brethren, you are all fair, my love. And there is no spot in you. Can you believe that that's Jesus saying that to us if we have faith in him? That you are all fair, my love. And there is not a spot in you. Justified, declared righteous by faith in him. And the most wonderful thing, brethren, about this righteousness is that it will be forever a perfect righteousness. There is nothing you or I can do to spoil this work that Christ has achieved. Now, I must be very careful here because what I'm about to say, the unconverted person will use this as a license to sin. But if you're in Christ here today, this truth will set you free to serve God. This truth will set you free to serve him in such a way that you will start to hate your sin more and more. Even though we are in Christ, as I said earlier, we sin daily. We fall daily. And very much to our disgust, we fail our saviour. If I went round the room here today, 
which I'm not going to. I'm sure you could all bring things to me that you have done while you've been a Christian that you wish you had never have done. Maybe that thing that's just coming to mind right now. And maybe Satan likes to remind you of this most weeks about, and maybe you even start to listen to his voice and think your profession is in vain. This is the wonderful thing about the righteousness of Christ, which he purchased. On that cross at Calvary, the Lord Jesus took your whole sin debt, all your past sins, all your present sins, and all your future sins. And he suffered from for them all. Every single one of them. He drank the wrath of God, which should have been ours. So listen to this, brethren. So when we sin, those sins have already been paid for. So the righteousness that Christ has clothed you with can never be spoilt. Remember those wonderful words from the Apostle Paul in Romans 4. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness, apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And why, why will he never impute sin? Why will he never impute that sin? And that is very, very simple. There is nothing left to impute. It was all done at Calvary. It is finished. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, brethren. Your sins are no more. In the eyes of God, it is as if your sins have never happened. Jesus purged them all. There is absolutely nothing left. We are as white as snow. So what are you going to do with that information? Well, if your reaction is, well, let us sin that grace may abound. I tell you today, brethren, if that is your reaction, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins and you need to get on your knees and repent and turn to Christ because something happens in the new birth where you start to hate your sin and to love Christ. But if your reaction is, thank you, O Lord, deliver me, sanctify me, O Lord, this evening I can assure you, you are very blessed this evening indeed. You are the blessed man that David was talking about. Blessed is a man whom God will not impute sin. Brethren, This is the gospel of Christ. This is the glorious gospel of Christ. It takes a man who is dead in trespasses and sins, who completely is hostile to God, who hates God and turns him around and gives him a new heart, recreates him. And then guess what? He gives him the righteousness of his son. This is wonderful. And then throughout this life, he conforms us who are in Christ into the image of his son. Then one day, my friends, we will be glorified with him, free from every single sin. Friends, we can't imagine it. There's a day coming where you and I will not even have an inkling to sin. If you're in Christ, that should go, oh Lord, haste the day, haste the day that that comes. If sin is not the most hated thing in our life, I tell you today that we are not born again. If sin is the thing that troubles you the most in your own life, be very assured, my friends, that you are born again. But brethren, this leaves us with a great responsibility. You and I in this room 
uphold the only truth that our lost family members have from escaping an eternity under the wrath of God. You and I have the only hope that our neighbours, work colleagues, strangers have to escape the holy, righteous indignation of God. And God will pour out his wrath on those who have not yet come to Christ for all of eternity. And I say this, brethren, like Jonathan Edwards said, may God stamp eternity on our eyeballs to see this. Because friends, even though this is hard, but how many of our family members are not yet in Christ? How many of our neighbours do we know who we see going to the pubs and they come back the next day and it's repeat, repeat, sin, repeat. Friends, they're going to die and go to hell and be under his wrath for eternity. Brethren, why are we not weeping? I'm not weeping. Brethren, we need, a, we need a, a revelation from God of this. I don't mean the silly charismatic revelations. I'm talking about God showing us the, the magnitude of his wrath. So we go out there and proclaim this wondrous gospel, calling men and women to repentance. Because friends, listen, it is the power of God unto salvation. And the social justice gospel is not going to suffice. The Islam is not going to suffice. Friends, men and women's problem is not that they don't have enough money in their bank. Their biggest problem is not that they had a bad day at work. Their biggest problem is that God created a world perfectly. And he placed man in a garden. And God gave man dominion over that. And man disobeyed God and we fell. And then everyone who, who was born through the seed of Adam was born in sin. And we've all sinned and death reigned from Adam to Moses. That's the problem. A man carried on sinning. God sent a law. We've broke the law of God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But God sent forth his only begotten son. And he, and that is the second person of the blessed trinity, God in the flesh. And he lived the perfect life that we could never live. And then on, he went to a cross at Calvary and died the death that we should have. He had the wrath of God poured upon him. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead for the just and the unjust. Rose from the dead, justified for our justification. That's why Christ rose. And he commands all men everywhere to repent. And this gospel will save a man. It will sanctify a man. And one day it will glorify a man. And that gospel, my friends, is more than enough. We don't need anything else. That gospel is more than enough. May God help us to preach this gospel. Amen.